0: So, hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to him, referring to Elijah Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going, to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And then she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, and thank you, Reed. Uh, honestly, it's a real privilege to be here. I just want to take a moment as they're doing that resident spotlight. We've really felt at home. Hannah and I both have felt very blessed by this church community, knowing that we're here for a period of time and we might might go elsewhere afterwards, and to know that we've just felt very adopted by you all and very loved. So thank you for welcoming us. Um, even an example of that last last weekend, there was a, a baby shower for Hannah and I. We were expecting our first and just, just felt very loved. So thank you. Um, with that, with the baby, I, I've often been praying it's, um, that the baby will be more like Hannah than like me. And People kind of chuckle, and, and but actually, I want you to know that this is a sincere prayer request, and people haven't been taking me seriously, so I want to tell a couple stories to highlight why why I think that needs to be. needs to be. So I was one of those kids, and maybe some of you are that way, or maybe some of you were that, this way, where you love setting boundaries for other people, right? It's like, sitting in the car, and it's like, hey, my little sister talking to her, you're not allowed to leave the seat. Like, here's the line, you can't do anything, like, you can't cross this line, here's your boundary, you got to stay there, and, you know, or maybe it's, playing tag and making up rules and saying you can't do this and well one time some of these boundary settings got um, a little bit out of hand we'll say right kind of making up rules that don't actually apply or have meaning to kind of the things I'd set up and so I I'm a little angry at my sister two years younger than me her, her name's Katie and she uh, was drinking from the red sippy cup now red was the color of sippy cup that I drank out of at 16 um oh sorry <laughs> six and uh, she, knew, I think she knew that, but we, we could ask her. She might not have known, and it might have just one of those boundaries I made up never even told her. And so she's over there drinking, and I see her from across the room out of the red sippy cup, and I decide what any good older brother should do. Run over there and, like, smash the cup down, right? Exactly. So I, I'm racing over to take the cup, and she sees me, so she takes, around the t- takes off around the table. So naturally, what does anyone need to do? But you pick up a weapon, right? I mean, <laughs> of course. So grab the thing nearest to me, and it happens to be... Uh, my mom was cutting something. There was the butcher knife. So, grab the butcher knife. I know, it gets a little morbid. Um, and I chase after my sister, and she sees that things are quickly escalating beyond where they should be. So she jumps out over the corner of the room, and I try and get her before she leaves. So I chuck the knife, right? Fortunately, <coughs> fortunately, my aim was terrible. Missed her, right? Also, fortunately, my dad arrived into the scene right at that moment and helped me explain to me other boundaries. Um, so... <laughs> Right. But this, this, I, I tell this humorous story, but it was all started with, with, with establishing these, these boundaries or lines and saying, you can't, or you can't do such. And I have a little illustration up there for us. It's kind of like, hey, don't cross that line, but they're, they're not, um, I'm not talking about good boundaries right now. I'm talking about the, the boundaries that we create that don't actually serve a purpose. It's just something that like, I don't want to do this. And sometimes I think we do this with God, right? We're talking to God, God, I'll love you and uh, I'll, I'll tell others about you as long as I don't have to tell this group of people or that coworker or this family member. I won't be patient with them, right? We kind of, Lord, I'll do this as long as not this, but here's the boundaries, here's the lines that I'm gonna draw up and that, that's where I'll obey and that's where I'll love, but I'm, I'm not gonna step outside those lines because yeah, it's not gonna happen, right? So maybe a, a question for you to wrestle with. Um, Does your God cross boundaries? Does your God cross boundaries? I want us to wrestle with that a little bit, and I'm going to begin in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for a morning that we have to open up your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that um, your word would be at work this morning, that we as as the people of God would hear the word of God and that it would change our hearts and uh, maybe your word that is proclaimed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know we did a sermon series over virtues and vices. Uh, virtues are habits that form our life leading toward life and good, and vices are habits that form our life that are leading us toward death. And we jumped in now to a new sermon series, Ahab versus Elijah. And these characters kind of exemplify virtue and vice. Ahab is this king of Israel who's supposed to lead God's people into truth and to know God better. And instead, he's a king full of vice who, through his wife Jezebel, are teaching the people to love Baal and to worship Baal, a false god, rather than Yahweh. So he's exemplifying vice. And then we have Elijah, who stands for the word of God and who exemplifies virtue. And it's not just Ahab versus Elijah. It's also kind of Baal versus Yahweh, the God of Israel, our God. Or maybe good versus evil. This is like cosmic cage fight going down in its next eight weeks, all right? So, so gear up for it. And as, we were, as we've been studying and as we've been looking, we also see this theme of the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is, uh, is how God used to communicate to his people. Originally, he communicated to his people in Garden of Eden by talking to them. And then sin had caused the separation, so God would communicate through a prophet like Moses. Or maybe through um, the, the law and the giving of the law. Or maybe through the king. And then the king was supposed to teach the people. But here's the problem. We have a bad king leading the people astray. So now the word of the Lord is speaking in a new way. And it's speaking through the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is supposed to be a new and better Moses. A new and better prophet. A new and better one who speaks on behalf of the Lord. And who has the word of the Lord to the people. Right? So Elijah steps on the scene. He tells King Ahab, you believe in Baal. Baal's the god of rain, the god of fertility, making things grow. Well, uh, god, the word of the Lord says it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Deal with that, Baal. Right, And then Elijah runs away. And that's kind of where our story picks up. And uh, we're going to start looking at that. And as we look at that story, the big idea I'd love for you to, to think about as we're going throughout is that the word of the Lord knows no bounds, the word of the Lord knows no bounds. So to examine that together, we're going to look at one story, two scenes, and uh, we'll jump in. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 8. And Reed already read some of this for us, but um, we're going to do a lot of reading. So if, it's, if you want to have your Bibles open, it would be great. 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Again, starts off with the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is doing the action. This is the word of the Lord that's moving and directing and talking to Elijah and what you're supposed to do. And it tells Elijah, go to Zarephath. And we're probably thinking like, okay, go to Zarephath. Great. But this actually has a lot of symbolism to it. And in Scripture, whenever you read a place, the place doesn't usually just talk about the actual physical location. It's almost always used... Also to symbolize something and to mean something. So Zarephath in this story, um, we're going to look at a map and I'm going to show it to you. And this is up there in the north, Zarephath. It is out of the land of Israel. You can see Israel's down here below and Kereth Brook. That's where like Elijah was. And the idea is that the word of the Lord is supposed to be speaking to the people of God, to the people of Israel. And yet the word has now said, "I'm going to leave Israel and I'm going to go across these boundaries, across these borders." to Zarephath. And Zarephath is the land of the Canaanites. Zarephath is the hometown of Queen Jezebel, the evil queen who brought in Baal worship. This is Baal's hometown. This is his home field advantage. This is his home turf. This is where Baal is supposedly strongest, because in the ancient Near East, people thought that gods were territorial, right? So you've got the god of the mountains, and he has power in the mountains, but not over the valleys. So then you've got the god of the valleys, but he doesn't have power over the god of the sea. And so you have all these different gods that the ancient people are worshiping and trying to appease, and they thought their god had power in certain regions. So this is Baal's stronghold right here. And God says, go basically to enemy territory. Go to the stronghold of Baal, who God is kind of battling, right? Baal versus Yahweh. And, uh, The other thing that makes this even a little bit crazier, he's leaving Israel, he's going to a foreign country, he's going to the God of the Canaanites, and then also says, and a widow will be there to feed you. A widow there to feed you? Like, there's probably widows that could feed him in Israel. Why leave? Why go to this foreign country and be fed by a widow? And then why a widow? Like, this is is strange. Um, This is more than strange. To maybe kind of help put it in our perspective, this might be like, Billy Graham deciding he's going to leave America, get rid of all of his possessions, go to the Middle East and stay with a Muslim family who is a widow, right? And have her take care of him. You'd be like, what? What are you doing, Billy Graham? Like, what, what's going on? That's essentially what Elijah's doing. He is crossing all sorts of boundaries, whether that be geography to out of Israel, or whether it be culture to a new culture, or to a different religion where they serve a different God, to a different race of people, to a different gender, like, even maybe his boundary of his own pride, of being fed and cared for by a woman. There's, this is all of these boundaries that Elijah is, is called by the word of the Lord to go do. So what does the prophet do? Next verse, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Notice his obedience. Obedience to the word of the Lord. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. So life in the ancient Near East for a widow, um, it's not good. In fact, it's about as low as you can get. Widows, were not allowed to really ha- to have like a job that could provide good income. They have to kind of scavenge about and do odd things in order to provide. And those, they're not allowed to be in a lot of social circles. Um, they, in order to like live, they have to do little things and they barely make it by. They're lowest of the low. She is in a desperate and vulnerable place, a widow is. And then not only are we told that, we're told she's gathering sticks, which gives us a little bit of insight that she's an especially poor widow because it's the middle of a drought, so all the trees are dead. So there's lots of firewood available. So she's gathering sticks and trying to make that her odd job to sell them for wood, she's not making much, right? She's also out there. She can't afford firewood of her own. She's out getting her own sticks in order to make, make a meal. So she is lowest of the low, vulnerable, and in a rough, rough place. And we see this widow on the scene. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. It's kind of strange to us. We're kind of wondering what's going on. But he's just traveled that long distance. He's thirsty, asks her for a drink. Hospitality customs um, What would be polite for her to offer him a drink. Though it is also a little odd for him to be talking to a female of the opposite Religion and culture and everything that's going on, but he asks and she responds well, and it's almost as if Elijah, though he'd been commanded by the Lord to bring the word this way, he doesn't know which widow is supposed to take care of him. So, as she responds well, maybe it's a bit of a thought of, "Oh, well, Lord, is this is this the widow you're going to have who's going to take care of me?" So he goes a step further since she's going to get him water and says, "Oh, can you also bring me something to eat, right?" And as he makes that request, it's almost like he's trusting, testing, and trying to obey the word of the Lord. And the widow says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Right? Let's enter into the widow's perspective a little bit. Like she's, she's got nothing. She is at a vulnerable and desperate place. And now some guy shows up and she recognizes He's from the Lord, the God of Israel. And guess who's caused this drought? The Lord, the God of Israel, right? So, I mean, she has every right to be furious with Elijah, an Israelite. You're the one who's caused this drought. Now you want me to feed you? I mean, that could be her response. And she's, she's not only got herself to take care of, she also has a son. And we're going to gather from this point and other points of story, this is a young son. This is a son who can't take care of himself. Because if he could do anything to help, he would. But at this point, she's out doing the work to feed and care for her son as a widow. And she is at a desperate point to where she says, I don't see any more hope. Like we're going to eat this last little bit. And then the drought has taken everything from us and we are going to die. It's over. And so maybe as we look at her response, we could have a couple a couple thoughts. Let's look at her response. She says, I'm as, as, um, sorry, then Elijah says to her, do not fear go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. Afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Sounds a little selfish, right? For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. So Elijah makes this bold request. It's kind of his fault I mean, it is his fault that she's out there not having enough food to care for herself. And yet he's asking for food, making this bold requests, And then the widow obeys the word of the Lord. She, she hears that it's Elijah, and Elijah's re- representing the word of the Lord. And then Elijah also says, because the Lord says this, do this. Trust in him. And whether it's out of apathy, and she has a little bit of a feeling of like, well, we're going to die anyway, sure, you can have some food and we'll all die together. Or whether it's out of faith and a bit of Baal hasn't provided for me. Nothing else has worked. I'm at the end. I'll try. Maybe the Lord, the God of Israel, maybe He can do something. I need some hope. Maybe she trusts and has faith that He will do something. Regardless of her motives, she obeys. And she and the result of her faith, it says, And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And as we, we look at the story, we see the word of the Lord playing a prominent theme. This is partly to establish Elijah as the man of the word of the Lord. Elijah is the man who speaks the word of the Lord to the people. Elijah is the man who speaks the word of the Lord even to foreign people. But what we see especially is that the word crosses boundaries to bring life, the word crosses boundaries. To bring life. I mean, without Elijah showing up on the scene, this widow's life is over, and so is the life of her son. It's, it's, it's done for them, and yet the word shows up on the scene, even though she's a foreigner, she's a different, she's a, she's a woman, she's a Canaanite, like she's from a different geographical region. There's all these boundaries that have been established, and yet the word crosses over them all and goes to her and saves her and rescues her, and sustains her by giving her food. The word crosses boundaries to bring life. And this text is actually controversial. Because the point of this text being that the word of the Lord left Israel and went to the foreign country and brought them life, and that the word went there, people didn't like it. Especially the Jews of Jesus' day. And we actually have Jesus referring to this story. And Luke, I'm going to read from there for you. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. It says, or Jesus um, says, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Jesus had just gotten up and announced he's the Messiah, and everyone was excited. And then he says, he tells this story, essentially that the word of God was also going to the least of these, to those who people might say, don't deserve it. And the people got angry, so angry they picked up stones and tried to stone and kill Jesus. Right then and there. That is how the people reacted to seeing that the word of God goes toward others, and that the word crosses boundaries to bring life. And that might be the application that I have for this first scene for us this morning. Are we a type of people that also cross boundaries to bring the word to others, to others who might be different than us, to those who through the boundaries that we establish, such as, well, you can't cross this line, or you can't do that, or Lord, I'll I'll witness to these people, but not to those people, or I'll care for these people, but not for those people? Do we cross over those boundaries to love them well and to bring them life, to bring them the word? And there's a lot of pushback. There's a little bit of, oh, well, they're an, they're an illegal immigrant. They don't deserve to ha- receive my love. Or, oh, well, they're homeless and they should work harder. So I, I'm not going to enable them. I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to love them. Or, oh, they're a different race than me. And I, I don't want to get dirty and deal with that race. Or, they're a different social economic status than me. Like, they don't have, I just don't like being around them. Right? Are, they, are there these boundaries that we've created that God does not have? Are there these boundaries that we put up and God says, these are not my boundaries. I cross over boundaries to care for the least of these. I think that's what we see in this story. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, okay, I'm also living in Olathe. I don't really know necessarily how I can cross boundaries to care for others. What would this look like for me? Glad you asked. Great rhetorical question, right? I get to answer it. Well done. Um, (laughs) We're having a Lunch and Learn event in two weeks um, after the 16th of July after service. We'll serve you lunch and we'll just tell you outreach opportunities at the church that we're a part of and how we're trying to minister to and care for those around us. And so if there's any interest for you about how to, to serve the, our neighbors well, please come to the event. We'd love to help let you know what we're trying to do. And uh, it's called the Lunch and Learn, two weeks. Maybe another, another application for us in addition to, are we crossing boundaries? Are we acting like the word of God to cross boundaries to bring life? Maybe another one would be, um, are we obeying the word? And sometimes the thought that I've had is, well, yeah, but Elijah, he like heard from God like an audible voice and like the widow, she probably did too. Like no wonder, obedience must've been so easy. I mean, if God said it, then of course you do it. But that's not what we see in the story. Like in this story, we see Elijah going up and he's not even sure which widow. It's not like God like said, oh, that's the one. He had to wait out a little bit. And also with the widow, she didn't even realize she was obeying the word of the Lord. She was simply told by Elijah, the word says to do this. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, do this. And she said, okay, I'm going to act in faith. And I think the same is true for us. We have, we have scripture. We have the word of God. We, 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 we're told things to do, but are we obeying? Are we following through with what it commands? Or do we not like it because it says things that are difficult for us? So maybe those might be two applications for us from the first scene. All right. The first scene. Probably seems like that's a whole sermon and you're ready for me to sit down. But that's scene one. We've actually got scene two coming up of the same story. So we're going to jump in, starting in verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. The son dies, right? And I don't want to make light of the pain this mother is feeling of losing her only son and that relationship of what's going on. But I also want to add to it because her context is a little different than ours. Not only is there the relational connection of having lost a son of one you're supposed to care for and provide for and he's, and he's dead, but there's also this piece of he is her hope. Without her son... She's never getting out of poverty. See, there's no welfare. As she gets older, if she can't gather up sticks and provide for herself and find something to eat, as she gets older and her hands start having arthritis or whatever it might be, she's left on her own to die. There's nobody else to take care of her. Her, her hope is that her son gets older, gets a job, and provides for her and takes care of her in her old age. With her son dead, so is her chance at the future. It's done. So she's lost the relational connection. She's lost this hope and this chance to move forward. She's also lost the, the chance to be, with, to be with her son any longer. He's, he's gone. And this is, a bit of a, this is a bit of a struggle because if God came and came and rescued her and provided life and sustained her and her son, then why is the son now dead? Like, why did God come and do this? Did he have power to provide life or didn't he? Because if he has the power to provide life and he didn't do it, then he is a cruel God. Or if, he had the power to, or if he didn't have the power to provide life and to take care of her, then why follow him at all? You can see the, does, does Baal win in the story? Was all of this in vain that was done in the first scene? What's going to happen? What's going on? And we see that this is the exact question that the widow comes to Elijah with. It says in verse 18, She said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She blames Elijah and she blames God. You caused the death of my son. This wasn't a passive thing. She says, you actively killed my son. It's, it's your fault, right? Points the finger, anger, sorrow. I mean, there's, there's a lot of emotion here. And she also has some good theology in that, boy, sin brings punishment. But yet her question is, I know that I am deserving of punishment. I do not deserve any good gifts. But yet, your word came and sustained me and loved me in this place. Why did you come and do that? And then now you're going to leave it all behind. Like, why forget my sin and forgive me and then now bring it back up and kill my son? Like, I don't get it, God. This is unjust. And she brings it to Elijah. And it's, there's just this idea of, boy, if you sustained me and brought me life, uh, do you have any power now over death? And Elijah says to her, Give me your son. Notice, he doesn't tell her, well, God works all things together for good for those that love him. Count it all joy through this various trial. Right? That, that's not his response. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't rebuke her. He receives her rebuke, and then actually we're going to see he actually agrees with the widow's account. He says, give me your son. And he, by doing this, is taking on great personal risk for himself. Because in that ancient Near East, not only did the son's death possibly still have disease that could carry over to Elijah, but also the son, a dead body, is unclean. And those who approach and touch a, a dead body also become unclean. And if they find out that a man of God touched a dead body, his career could be over, right? So by, he says, give me your son. And he took him from her in her arms, carried him up to the upper chamber where he was lodged, and laid him down on his own bed. Elijah essentially says, Not worried about my career, not worried about my life. I am also caring for your son. And as he brings up the chance of loss of reputation in and, and, and his own life, he cries out to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Elijah also has the same response. God, you've killed the, killed the widow's son with whom I stay? Like, I was supposed to bring life and healing to these people. But if I brought life and this, this son is now dead, the widow actually doesn't have any real life worth living. Like, she, she is destined to destruction. Like, what is going on? He also cries out against God in his honest and vulnerable prayer, just like the widow And he also recognizes that God is the one who is active in this. God is the one in charge of what is going on. So then he stretches himself out upon the child, verse 21, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him. It was a bit confusing. We're not entirely sure of why he lays down on the child. But what we do believe is this is a symbolic gesture. And it's essentially saying, Lord, my life for the child's take me, kill me, let me die, and let this child live. So, I mean, there's a great picture here of sacrifice. But even more interesting to me on this is Elijah is asking for something, which does not happen, right? Like, dead people don't rise from the dead. In the story of Scripture, to this point, no one has ever come back to life that was dead. I mean, we know this. If someone's dead, they're not coming back. I mean, this is so well known, even the great writer and Princess Bride is aware of this, right? I mean, Wesley is brought up and they think he's all, all dead. And they say, what do, you, what do you have worth living for? True love, right? And then, and then he comes down and they lay him on the table and they say, well, if he's, if he's mostly dead, then we can give him a chocolate pill and maybe he can go storm the castle and win the day. But if he's all dead, the only thing we can do is check his pockets and look for loose change, right? So they know dead men don't come back to life. Oh, if they're all dead, and just with the humor aside, what is Elijah asking for? This has never been done in history. There's never been a resurrection story. because the, the, the son is dead. Yet Moses, I'm sorry, yet Elijah is asking for God to raise the son to life. And the Lord, verse 22, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came back in him again, and he revived And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This resurrection story is the first in scripture and it's incredible. And it shows us that the word not only crosses boundaries to bring life, but the word also crosses boundaries to defeat death right? Baal has no power here. Baal couldn't make it rain and provide for his own people, yet God could, yet God does. Baal doesn't have any power over death. What's dead is dead, yet God can take the dead and, and resurrect them. If you're, keeping, if you're keeping score last week when uh, Yahweh said there will be a famine and kind of a slap in your face to Baal, it's kind of God one, Baal zero. Now we have um, God bringing life to the people where Baal couldn't, God two, Baal zero. And now we have God raising someone from the dead. That's God three, Baal zero. And just a little hint, Baal never scores any points. <laughs> it's not really exactly a fair fight. But we see this, we see this power in the resurrection. And what's, what's, what's beautiful about this, I mean, it's not only that the life is restored, but it's also this widow's hope. It's showing that God does have the power to provide. God does have the power to bring life, even in the enemy territory. But also God has the power to defeat death, which has never been done before maybe a few applications for us. I'm struck by the widow's phrase where she says, now I know. Right? So maybe she had some faith earlier in her obedience and the daily provision of the bread, but now she knows that the word of the Lord is true. And if, you're, if you've been a believer or if, you are new, if you're here and you're visiting the church and you're trying to figure out what is Christianity about, let me tell you what it all hinges on. It all hinges upon one thing and that's the resurrection of Jesus right? If Jesus didn't come to earth and then defeat death by rising again from the dead, then this is, this meeting's in vain. Like this is all pointless. But yet scripture tells us that Jesus did come and he lived the perfect life. He died for our sins and he rose again conquering death for our sakes. So the now I know, there's maybe one application that I've just struck by. It Do I know what Christ has done? And if you you don't know that, we'd love to meet and talk with you afterwards. And if you do know what Christ has done, is it influencing the way you live? Are you obeying the word of the Lord? Are you crossing boundaries to bring life? Another application for me was honest prayer, right? Uh, The widow's prayer cries out, blames God. Elijah cries out, blames God. Says things that we probably wouldn't say or we're allowed to say in church, right? I mean, God, you killed my son and I blame you. That's their prayer. And yet God hears their prayer. He uh, listens to their prayer and is not, he's not st- struck by it, right? He, he's able to handle their deepest, darkest, whatever they've got. He can handle it. And then he also answers their prayer. And I know the difficulty with that application is many of us have cried out to God with prayers and we've been told no. And they were told yes. And I, I'm not going to try and answer this morning why God would answer no to prayers, but I will tell you that God also told Jesus no in prayer. And he told Jesus no in prayer so that God could say yes to us. And it's Jesus that is the point of these stories. You see, the word of the Lord used to be spoken in the Garden of Eden, and then it was through the prophet Moses, and then it was through the law, and then it came through kings like King David, and now it's through the prophet Elijah. Elijah is a greater prophet, speaking the word of the Lord, crossing boundaries, bringing life, defeating death. But ultimately, we are told that Jesus is a greater Elijah, a greater prophet than Elijah. And we also see the story that Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1. I'm going to read for you. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see that ultimately Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And Jesus crossed boundaries from, by leaving heaven, by leaving his status, by leaving where he was and coming to earth to redeem you, to redeem me, to redeem a people who were not deserving, who who did not deserve to have God's love. He left it all. Not only did Jesus cross the boundaries to bring us life, to cross the boundaries to defeat death, Jesus crossed the boundaries to be with us. Jesus Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus crossed all sorts of boundaries to be with us. He is the greater Elijah. He is the word of the Lord. He is the one who conquers death in a way that matters. Yes, the resurrection story occurred for that, young, for that young boy and for the widow where they saw it. But eventually, that boy dies. And eventually, that widow dies. And eventually, all of us in this room, we will die. But when Jesus came, he had a resurrection which wasn't temporary, which is eternal. And that eternal resurrection is where we place our hope. And that's also the hope that we know that one day, even though we will die and our earthly bodies will perish away, God promises to restore us, that we might live with him in eternity. God promises to let, to let us be with him because he is with us. This is the sacrifice and the work of Jesus. Jesus crossed boundaries to bring life, to defeat death, to be with us. The word of the Lord knows no bounds. Praise God that the word of the Lord knows no bounds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you crossed boundaries to be with us. That You left your place on high and came for sinful men to die. Lord, it doesn't always make sense to us. You care for the least of these. You care for those that we put up boundaries and say, Lord, I don't want to love them. Yet, Lord, you love them. You love them enough to die in their place. Lord, I pray that as we see your word and we try and obey your word, Lord, do you convict my heart and our hearts here as your people that we might seek to love others who are different than us. that We might seek to bring life to them through your word. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his love knows no bounds. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
0: Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go in peace.